We're going to start by reading from verse 1, Romans chapter 15, where we're going to be at. Starting from verse 1, it says, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you, because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me, in word and deed, to make the Gentiles obedient. In mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. In verse 21, But as it is written, To whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. Please pray with me, Father in heaven. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for your holy word again. Thank you, Lord, for this time that we can gather in the name of your Son, our Savior, Messiah Jesus. We thank you, Father, for all the wonderful works that you have done in our hearts, through our hearts, in this congregation, in this fellowship that we call now today, Calvary Chapel at the Cross. This is a work that you have done. You have birthed this church. You have sustained it. This was not our choice, definitely not my will. This was your will. And we thank you, Lord, that you sustain us. But we ask, Lord, for your empowerment today. 
Your work is not yet done. You still want to do a work in and through this church and in and through each and every one of our hearts. So prove yet again, Father, you are the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Comfort us today in whatever each of us are going through. Help us, Lord, to fully surrender to your Spirit, to your work, so that your Spirit, like living water, can pour out through us to reach a lost and dying world. Help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You guys could have a seat if you would, please. So as you and I know, Jesus Christ had a ministry to both the Jews and the Gentiles. We know, even as verse 8 says, look at this here, Romans 15, verse 8, Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision. That's the Jews. Jesus came first to the Jewish people, as prophesied, highly anticipated by the scriptures, and he was the Messiah, not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. He died on the cross for all of our sins. Amen? For both Jew and Gentile. And even at Paul's time, Jesus was still reaching out to the Gentiles. And proof of that is what Paul is writing about here, predominantly to the Gentile church. And he writes in various letters to various churches. And Jesus is still doing that work today amongst Gentiles. Amen? Amen. And some of us that are Jews too, still. Amen? He's still doing that work. So Paul was raised up in order to do this work. And today, I, I just greatly convicted. Thank you guys for praying for me for what the Lord would want to say to his people here. I feel like I kind of owe it to some of you guys, especially for you that have been with us for a while and this is your home church, whether you just joined us recently, whether you've been with us from the beginning. Some of us have been here from the beginning. Praise God, you're still here. It's like miracle, miracles. That's totally the grace of God. But I kind of feel like I, I owe it to some of you guys to share a little bit of what God had done, what God hath wrought from the beginning here. Because subsequently, he knew you would come in. God knew what he wanted to do with you. So preemptively, he had to have a fellowship here for you to come and partake in, to be a part of. And he's still doing that work, amen? But I want to share with you, because even for you folks that have been here from the beginning, I haven't shared a lot of this. So Paul is mentioning here how it is that he chose to minister in the Gentile regions and to not stay at home in the Jerusalem area. He could have stayed at home in a similar way. Let me say a very minuscule way. This is what he's done here. You guys know that post 9-11, 9-11, what was it, February 2002, the Lord had moved me out. He first prepares the person, and then he's going to do that work. He has to work it in you before he works it through you, amen? So some of you, you want to help people get saved. Who here wants to see souls saved? Oh, that's, that's beautiful. Raise your hands. Who, who wants to see souls saved for the sake of Jesus Christ? Look around the room. It's ubiquitous. Now, one of the reasons why, well, actually, before I ask this, another thought comes to mind. Who here really cared about that before you were a believer in Jesus Christ? Isn't that funny? Look around the room. Zero. So it's ubiquitous. Why? 
first, God has to do a work in you, so that second, he can do that work through you. First, in you, second, through you. He's got to prepare you to then have you pour out. Prepares you and then pour out. Make sense? That's why you care to have souls saved. Why? He saved your soul. <laughs> Make sense? He first does that work in you. You're like, wow, salvation's for everyone. I got to share this with my family. And then you're wondering, why isn't everybody in my family caring about eternal salvation? Anybody feel that? You're like, what is wrong with you? You're crazy. And they look at you and go, you're crazy. <laughs> you sound like some weird conspiracy theorist. The only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Wow, that's crazy. So God has done a work in you, and now you care that he would do a work through you. He got you saved through Jesus Christ, and now you care about seeing souls saved. Why? Because after people die, if they do not have Jesus as their only Savior, their one and only Savior for their sins, they die and they go to a place called what? Hell. And then after Judgment Day, they're going to be placed in a place called the Lake of Fire. And they're going to burn for how long? Forever and ever. Eternity. That stinks, doesn't it? Thus, it's good news that he's given you. He gave you the grace and the faith to believe and receive. And now you care to share. That you want to tell others this good news. It's good news I want to tell. It's not like the bad news you might hear on the news. This is good news, great news, the best news in the world, the most wonderful gift, that you can have eternal salvation. You don't have to pay for your sins in the fires of hell, then after judgment day, go to the lake of fire and pay for your sins through all the eternity. Why? Jesus Christ paid for your sins. If they would only turn so they wouldn't burn, so to speak. Amen? So you care now. Why? Because he did that work in you. So now he's trying to do that work through you. So Paul got saved, and now he's wanting to help the Gentiles in these Gentile regions. And thus he's writing here. Look at this in chapter 15. Uh, of the many things we can cover, there's a couple of things I just want to pick out and then to discuss here. And it'll be kind of personalized for us here. Notice this in verse 20. So again, Paul's mentioning how it is that he chose to minister in the Gentile regions. Look at this in verse 20. He says, I have made it my aim to preach the gospel... Not where Christ was named, lest I should, what? He says, build on another man's foundation. He doesn't want to build on another man's foundation. And so at this time, I, I want to briefly share a little bit here, because there's not a single person here, even my wife, that really has heard all the things that God has done. I mean, still there's going to be a lot more that God can share, and not just through me. But from the beginning, there are things that I think I need to share with you guys. In other words, how is it, and I've been asked throughout the years, how is it that the Lord had us pick to, to land here in Queens? And why this area? I mean, specific things. I'm like, my ultimate answer is, I don't know. I, I don't know. And a lot of Christians don't like that. They want you to specify. What book did you read? The Bible. <laughs> how did it come about? I, I don't know. I prayed and he said. And I'd be a rebellious teenager, so to speak, if I didn't go and do. I felt like I would be in sin. Why? Because he revealed his plan. And he, he also shared with me through others this church plant. And it got planted only by the grace of God or the glory of God. It's definitely not me. But why this area? Well, there's a couple things I want to share with you. One of them is this little verse here, Romans 15, verse 20. Why is it that the Lord 
had someone land out here. Notice it says here at the end of verse 15, lest I should build on another man's foundation. So even in our time, I, I want to just briefly share. This might not mean anything to, to some of the folks here, but if this is your home church, I, I feel like I owe it to you to let you know. So how is it that the Lord had us choose to be here to minister in this Queen's area? A lot of it was greatly this verse. So I moved out here, uh, well, actually before moving in February 2002. Post 9-11, I was sent uh, to a relief site at Ground Zero. Calvary Chapel had taken over a place. It was a, a little Catholic church building called St. Joseph's, very close to the pit, to Ground Zero. And there were different ministry sites. Salvation Army had a place, but it was far away. Red Cross had a place, but it was far away. And the pastor in the fellowship where I was at came to the city, went to the mayor's office, and they, they, as the story gets told, they put out a map, and then they're like, you don't need to be over there. You need to be close to the pit. And that was a good thing. Praise the Lord that the mayor's office cared at the time. And they pointed out a place that they wanted for a relief site to be for the, specifically for uh, and especially for the fire, police, and construction personnel. As you guys remember, post 9-11, there's like paparazzi galore. Like <laughs> well, I was there in, uh, in the ground zero time, post 9-11, where a lot of the fire, police, and construction personnel, especially NYPD and FDNY, they had people like in their face, up their nostrils with cameras. You expect that any of those guys and gals would be crying and processing with like the paparazzi in their face? No. So they, they needed a place where they can come to without the paparazzi. We didn't allow the paparazzi. And the mayor was gracious to open up a place uh, we just affectionately called St. Joe's. It was an old Catholic church building that was gutted out, very small actually, and we just manned it with missionaries, Calvary Chapel missionaries. So we were graciously given the closest relief site to Ground Zero, which became a Calvary Chapel missionary site. Now, the city didn't call it that. It was called the, uh, I forget what they named it, as far as the group over the city. OEM, I think it is called. Is that what it's called? Like, I think it's OEM, Operate Office of Emergency Management or something like that. So anyhow, uh, there was a, a person that was uh, an NYP detective who since has retired, who was the city's liaison, a Calvary Chapel pastor, <laughs> and partnered with uh, the pastor of my old fellowship, a Calvary Chapel pastor. And so they just got together and they're like, hey, let's bring in missionaries. So I was one of the missionaries that came in as they had this relief site. We had missionaries come even as far as from Japan to minister to the people there. It was crazy. Hundreds of missionaries were funneled into that site. And tons of relief supplies. You guys remember all this stuff that went on post 9-11. But we had a site where we wouldn't allow the paparazzi in. And we laid out cots. One of the guys was a techie guy, so he set up a bunch of computers. So a lot of the firemen and police that were positioned there, they could simply send an email to their wife saying, I'm okay. Because that was crazy at the time. You know, remember 2002, we didn't have iPhones like we do today. That's the thing about that, right? This has become so much a part of our lives, these smartphones. So they couldn't connect, simple things like that. And we would allow the paparazzi in. So we'd allow that we set up cots, they could rest for a little bit, we would feed them, and so on and so forth. 
Well, I was sent by a pastor in California at a Calvary Chapel where I was working at to come in. One of the things was to work there on that site. Another thing that I had to do, my two top priorities, was to pray for where he would have me to land for Calvary Chapel Church plant. God willing. And here I come with this California kid. I remember at that time, I didn't have much. I had three things. I had my calling to come out, which is definitely God's call, wasn't mine. I had my faith, and I had my Bible. Not much else. In fact, on that trip over there, I was doing a quick calculation. The day that we were to take off in the plane to come here, and I was going to land and be positioned uh, at that site at Ground Zero, I'm like, God, I don't have enough money. How do I tell the pastor? And I'm supposed to lead a missions group up. How am I tell the pastor I can't go? I distinctly remember that very morning going into the church building and into the prayer room just by myself, sitting down. Like, and my heart wasn't, oh, thou Lord, empower me mightily to do thou will. It wasn't nothing like that. It was, God, help me. <laughs> what do I do? Because I had a plane ticket. I was supposed to jump on the plane. And I'm thinking, I don't have enough money to last for this trip. How do I tell them no? And I'm supposed to lead this missions group out. But I plopped in that room, started praying, and I'm thinking, I'm just going to go do it. There's a weird thing that kind of, like a lever in your heart. That you flip the switch. When you say yes, like, I'm going to do what you're telling me to do. No questions asked. Oh, i got a lot of questions. I'm just going to go do it. And just help me along the way. Shortly after, a guy came in, sat down. We had two couches set up and a little coffee table in the middle in our prayer room. Sat down on the other side. Never saw the guy before. He says, uh, you don't know me. This is not from me, but through me. Kind of like the messenger. Kind of like the FedEx guy. He hands me, reaches out, hands me a check. And I look at it, and it was, as I made my calculation prior to this time, it was like, just enough for what I needed to last a trip. I'm like, whoo! Because <laughs> I already made the decision. I'm going to go, even if I don't have enough money. Because you said it, and this is what I needed to do. That was like one of the many tests he did prior to moving out. So this was still 2001. And I came out. Uh, I remember praying. I had to get a rental car. And by the way, rental cars are pretty expensive in New York City. <laughs> and prayed and was driving around for like two weeks all around New York City. And if you know me, I still feel like a tourist 22 years later. Still don't know much about New York City but driving around, praying, and it was like this. Oh, God, please, God, please, God, where, where do I land? What do I do? Where do I go? I'm like, New York City's big. <laughs> I came from Orange County, California. I always thought God was going to send me out to somewhere else in California, close enough to home, like, which was Orange County, California, maybe a little bit in the mountains. That was my romanticized idea. If you guys have ever heard of... Uh, oh, who is that painter? Painter of light. Kincaid. Thomas Kincaid. Any of you guys heard of Thomas Kincaid? You see his, his beautiful paintings? That's my romanticized idea. Maybe you'll send me out to a beautiful cottage. I'll be ministering to people as they're hanging out on their porch. I'll walk up to their place and say, hey, can I talk to you about Jesus? Oh, I could go fishing all the time in the mountains. That was my romanticized idea. I'm like, New York City? What, what good comes out of New York City? <laughs> so I was a kid growing up in California. My thought of New York was, if you watch that old movie, Warriors, 
Remember that movie? Some of you guys saw that old movie. Yeah, Warriors. The guy's clink, <laughs> clinking the bottles. Warriors, come out to play. Eh? There's graffiti on all the subways. I came here and was like, New York City's not that bad. <laughs> but that's what was going on in my head and heart when God was calling me to come here. And I didn't know. And he was just testing my faith. You see, again, he'll prepare a vessel to later on subsequently pour through that vessel. And even I found after moving here, I moved here finally in February 2002, he was still preparing my heart. Still is in many ways. So in our time that we now live in, Romans 15, of course, is very different from us today, but the principle still stands. What well, God was greatly convicting my heart, as you see here in Romans 15, verse 20, to not build on another man's foundation. So when I was just simply driving around my, I think it was an Avis rental car for like two weeks, I drove all around anything I could. I found out where I was going by, by simply taking wrong turns. And I, I found out that New York has a lot of toll roads. I found out why California calls them freeways. Anybody know that? They're called freeways in California. Why? Because you go on the highway and you don't have to pay money. Like, oh, it's called a freeway. Because everywhere you go, you go from here to Jersey, you've got to pay money? What? That's crazy. Cross over a bridge, you've got to pay money. You go through a tunnel, you pay money. <laughs> in California, it's like free. <laughs> freeway. So I found out the hard way, uh, still am, about how to get around New York City. And I drove even to, um, out to Long Island. I thought, wow, it's beautiful out there. It's like, like island life. Kind of reminds me of some of the areas when it's nice, kind of like Newport Beach, California. If you've ever been in that area, or I was in Dana Point, uh, California. Like a lot of surfers around that area. You know, hey, what's up, dude? You know, the, just that whole attitude is laid back, nice sun. It's, the weather's hot and not so hot. We have four seasons here, very radically different. And I remember going around even the places that I thought were really nice and beautiful, and it's like the Spirit of God is like, uh-uh, that's your will. That's your will. So just to tell you, some of the places where I wanted, I'm like, Lord, this is really nice, the south shore of Long Island. Because I had some friends that were right by the water in Amity. Actually, that's one of the first places I had some friends plot because a lady's son was at the Baba College where I was at. He was one of the kids in the classes I taught. And he's like, oh, we'll put you, you know, up my mom, uh, their place. It's a really nice place. And I'm like, God, this is nice. Not too different from the ocean area in California that I'm used to. And God's like, that ain't it. That ain't it. So not to build on another man's foundation, I contacted all of the, at that time, all the Cabbage Chapel works that were being done here. There was, at that time, uh, a church plant in Manhattan, that's where my wife Susan was at for 15 years. Sadly, they're not there anymore. But Susan was there. And I remember being greatly convicted. Okay, not Manhattan. Later on, I found out. I was like, good Lord, prices are so expensive there in Manhattan. I had no idea. <laughs> like, I'm glad I'm not called there, was my initial thought. Uh, there was a, also a work, a Cabbage Chapel church up in the Bronx at that time. Uh, Cabbage Chapel of Agape. They did have a lot of love. I remember going driving from Queens all the way up there just to find good fellowship. When I was living here in Middle Village, Queens. But I, felt, I remember feeling, okay, I'm not called to be there. Others are. And then uh, in Brooklyn, there was a church, praise God, they're still there, uh, sharing the word of God, called Horizon. 
they're like they're Coney Island. Uh, the same thing. God wasn't calling me to that area, not that area of Brooklyn. There was no work in Staten Island. Later on, subsequently, Harry uh, Chapel Oldbridge sent a pastor out to, to try to do a church plant. It never really stuck, sadly. Uh, but there was nothing there. Still isn't. No Calvary Chapel Association church plant there. And over here in Queens, there was nothing. There was no, no Calvary Chapel type church. And I connected with a buddy who was a graduate of the Bible College where I was on staff in California, Calvary Chapel Bible College. We kind of lost touch because he came out and he was like, pray for me because my dad is a, he was like a Pentecostal uh, church pastor and he, he was telling us and telling me, well, uh, the church board wants me to take over the church, but after having gone through the Bible college at Calvary Chapel, he actually learned the Bible. And he's like, all I got to do is teach through books of the Bible? That's brilliant. You don't have to like hit people up for money and all that stuff and like emotionalism. Just teach the Bible, and God will do what he wants to do. And he was sharing with us how he shared with the church board, like, I'll take over the church if I could just teach the Bible. And they're like, nope, not going to have it. So he wouldn't take over the church. But we lost connection. That's, that sounds sad, but that's, how, that's the state of New York City in church life. And that was like 22 or so years ago. And so what happened is I connected with him. After I came out, he used to live here in Ridgewood. And so we used to connect. And I saw even the nursing home up here. And I'm thinking, okay, there's, there's like an immediate place to pour out perhaps. And subsequently, after connecting with him and meeting with him and his wife and praying with them, I remember just burning in my heart for this area. Didn't know, didn't know I'd meet some people subsequently that were living here in Middle Village. Kind of neat to see. I had no clue though. I now know, I mean, Queens is huge. There's 2.2 million people that live here. That's crazy. But not building on another person's foundation. Why? Because there's something about God preparing the heart, preparing the person. If you have your Bible there, turn with me a little bit to the left. Go to a book called Zechariah. We looked at this earlier in our meeting. I'm going to try to be brief here today. Zechariah chapter 4. If you're in Romans, keep turning to the left. You get to the minor prophetical books. And there's a, a bigger book though, called Zechariah. If you're in Matthew, Turn to the left, you get to Malachi. Keep turning left, you get to Zechariah. Go to Zechariah chapter 4. In chapter 4, after God was telling Zerubbabel how he was to rebuild the temple, or what would become the second temple in Jerusalem, it's going to be done not by might nor by power, but by God's Spirit, he says in verse 6. And look at this in verse 10. For who has despised the day of small things? The day of small things. So let me say it like this. Don't despise humble beginnings. Don't despise humble beginnings. Uh, when God moved me here, it, you know, what goes through my head and heart, I'm sure it does with you guys too, the cheapest place I could find, I remember grabbing the paper here, the local paper, I don't know if they're still out, because I mean, things are digital now. But I grabbed the local paper, and I found a place, it was 900 bucks a month in Middleville. We were like 22 years ago, February 2002. $900. And it was a, they called it a studio apartment. Later on I realized it was actually an illegal apartment. <laughs> you know, the kind where you don't pay electricity because it's all one system. 
You know, there's no phone because there's only one house phone. In other words, it was a legal apartment. Uh, but I remember moving in, and the ceiling was low. Again, I'm not that tall, so I'd be able to palm the ceiling with my hand, standing in the garage. It was a one-car garage here in Middle Village. Small place, way smaller than this. And I'm thinking, how is a church ever going to be planted here? And I, I took myself out of the picture and go, if someone were to invite me, like say, hey, you want to come to a Bible study? Would I want to come here? And for me, it's like, no. Sounds weird. You know, come to some garage, one car garage, for a Bible study. No. I, actually, I had a friend actually ask me, What are you doing? Are you trying to start a cult? <laughs> like, no. It just sounded so weird and wacky. <laughs> well, that was the humble beginning of this fellowship. So back then, the people were rebuilding the, te- the temple of God, and when we're building for God in God's house, it's a similar principle that I want to share with you guys. Don't despise, as it says here, the day of small things. Think about how when God does a work, Jesus Christ, as we know, is birthed into this earth, regular human being. Uh, no room for them in the end, so to speak. So Mary, giving birth, pretty much out in the wilderness. Would that be your plan to bring the world's Savior in? No, no human being would choose that. But that was God's way. If you were to plan out even this church plant, would you have done it that way? I, even me, if I think of like, no, that's, that sounds weird. But that's our beginning. We're a church that started in a one-car garage in Middle Village, Queens, New York City. And so when I've been asked, why is it Queens and why this area? One of the reasons is because, as we just saw in Romans 15, not to build on another man's foundation. And so I saw doors closed there. Sometimes you, you can see God's will by seeing doors that are closed and sensing it's like Holy Spirit telling you, like, danger, danger, don't go there. And so as he was having me move forward, it just kind of got narrowed to this area. I personally, again, wanted to go maybe to like South Shore of Long Island. It was beautiful in some of those areas. I had a buddy that came, moved out with me subsequently who loved surfing. And we'd go to some of the areas to surf. Uh, Long Beach. There was Long Beach in California. I remember Long Beach out there. It's like, oh, that's kind of nice. There's a surfboard shop out there, too. Not as good waves as California, but it was doable if it was warm enough. And I was thinking those kind of things. Like, wow, it's kind of nice out there. But God was thinking of you. I want to share that with you. Because this is God's will. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. He says in verse 10, Zechariah for. Verse 10, for who has despised the day of small things? So the work to rebuild in Jerusalem, it would have been huge. And what would they have to do? They would have to clear the rubble. A lot of the work, the hard work at the beginning before they could start to build the temple is clear away the rocks. Some of us don't want to do the hard work. We just want to come. It's like, hey, look, a church is already set up and all. And I'm not saying we're going to start from the beginning with zero people. But just to share with you some of the neat things of what God has done. We're not to despise the day of small things, of humble beginnings. So in a similar way, this church, your church, we were birthed out of a one-car garage here in Middle Village, Queens, New York City. wasn't my choice. And when I moved here, I didn't have money. I was sleeping on the ground about a month away from being homeless. 
I remember this is before being married. When you guys are married and you have kids, it's a very different life. But my heart, the zeal that I had just to do God's will, and like, God, please help me to hold on to it and, and burn all bridges that are against your will, the thought I had was, I'm going to be here. If I die, I die. And after a week or so of being here, it's like, okay, this is a little hard now. <laughs> uh, can we talk about this? <laughs> you didn't really say how long. And by the way, before I left California, I remember telling this to a family. I lived with this Filipino family in Rancho Santa Margarita. You're telling them and uh, the pastors I was close with, as well as the staff at the Bible College. It's like, for some reason, God's telling me this is going to be a long-term mission. Now looking back 22 years, like, okay, I know it's a long-term mission, but I had no idea what that meant. You see, I worked for a missions group where we send people maybe for a week or two weeks out to Sudan, and they'd come back. We'd send people out maybe for a month-long mission, and they'd come back. So you've got your tour of duty when you come back. I'm like, okay, so what do you call it when someone's been in an area over two decades? I guess I'm still a missionary. And you meet and marry a local. <laughs> so God is doing a work. By the way, after moving here, this is how I met my wife, Susan. You guys don't know this, too. And you don't see all the connected dots, all the strings, so to speak, of what God does. Look around the room, how he connects people together. It's so beautiful to see that. I had no idea. Well, in my heart, I was praying, holding on to this passage it has in Genesis. It is not good for man to be alone. Like crying. It is not good for man to be alone. Physical tears, like laid out on the ground. Don't you see it? Can I remind you of what you say? And yet holding on to what God had called me to do. And just to, to wait and not date around. Wait. Wait for what God is doing. Not knowing that subsequently, some of you guys were here, and it will, you know, Jose, Catherine, you remember, Wendy, and remember the, the VFW, the yellow building? Before being here, we were there for a couple of years in the VFW hall, Middle Village. And when God had us move into this place, shortly after that, that's when he had Susan walk through the door, like 16 plus years ago, however long that was. I didn't know that my future wife, Susan, would live in Queens growing up in Flushing area. And then she was at another Calvary Chapel Fellowship in Manhattan. Her story, as you guys know, she'll share with you more. But for the last couple of years that she was there, God was convicting her heart that she would leave that fellowship. And she would eventually meet and marry her husband. So she went to fellowship in Manhattan, but she lived here in Queens. And as she was looking for a local Bible teaching church, she shares her story. It's hard to find a Bible teaching church in Queens. Any of you guys know that? church that actually teaches the Bible itself. You just go through the scriptures. And she kept going from place to place. She eventually walked through the door here. I had no idea. You see, but if we have our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he can do even as he says in Ephesians 3. He'll do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. Amen. He could do that. And we've seen that. And you've seen that here too. And what God can do. So by not building on another man's foundation and thus guiding us to be here in this area, I personally can share it. Many of you women are ministered to for the women's ministry by Susan and what God has done through her life. And especially through the music. Some of you guys were here at the start where I was doing the worship leading. You're like, praise God, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Susan's got a much better voice. (laughs) 
So this is where I met my wife, Susan. And we were here. Some of you guys remember. Kimmy, you remember post-Superstorm Sandy. After Superstorm Sandy hit, uh, some of you guys don't know this. Well, who was here living in this area when Superstorm Sandy hit? Okay, many of you guys were. So Sandy hit, and the Rockaways, South Queens, was the hardest hit in all of New York. And uh, when that happened, then Calvary Chapel Relief was formed, uh, led by Lloyd Pooley out in New Jersey. So they took over like, helping out people in New Jersey. He tapped into me. I'm here. I'm like, wait a second. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we had this five-acre property that God had given us in South Queens. Uh, here's what I told Pastor Lloyd Pooley. All right. As soon as you send someone out to take it over, let me know. I'll happily just hand it over. And his, his, his thought was like, well, the Lord's got you there. That's not what I wanted to hear. <laughs> I tried giving it away, handing it off. So in other words, the Lord will prepare people. Some people moved out. <laughs> Sister Kibby moved out. We never would have met her. She moved out initially thinking you'd be here, what, like three weeks? 10, 11 years later, you're still here. And a lot of people God had raised up. Some of you guys remember even right before Superstorm Sandy. We bust through the wall here. This was a warehouse, a really ugly warehouse. There's just guys working here. The bathroom used to have no sink, just a toilet. What does that let you know, ladies? No girls were working here, right? <laughs> just guys. So we bust through the wall. And here I was thinking, that year when we bust through the wall, I'm thinking, how are we ever going to pay the rent here? Not knowing that in just a few months, Superstorm Sandy would hit. And then Later on, as we answer the call to minister to people, we had at one time here, there was like 25 missionaries sleeping on the ground here for a little while. It was crazy at that time. See, God knows what he wants to do, is my point. So we were here to minister post-Superstorm Sandy. And I could look at each of you, including those that he just brought in. We're here to minister to you. See, God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we get asked for things. Some of you guys came from the local neighborhood. You live here. This is not my plan. This is the plan of the Lord God Almighty, amen? And when he does a work, he wants to do it. It's going to be through his grace, through his strength. And when he wants us here, this, please don't think like I had some scaled out plan of the demographics and here's really good capital in this area. Like what they do in the corporations. I'm just this guy. I'm going to like take this hand, take this hand and go, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? What? Okay. <laughs> Give me strength. And he had us land here and start here. But I do want to say, I'm going to close, and I want to just, just to share a little bit about what God was doing. And again, back to Romans 15. Why is it this area? Why Queens and not Staten Island or Brooklyn or the Bronx or Manhattan? Verse 20, not to build on another man's foundation, I think verse 15, how Paul is saying, I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished to me in word and deed. That I think as time goes on, maybe not so much in this type of format on Sundays in our service, but we come across a passage, but this is foundational for our church, for your church. Why here? God was thinking of you. And we need to, if I can say so, brag about what Jesus has done in and through broken vessels like us. Amen? Because it's him who's strong. 
It's us that's weak. And there's the next generation. So why I can look at you guys and I see how God brought each of you in because he thought of you in this area. I didn't know that. I didn't know any of you. But he did. And later on, he would subsequently bring you guys in. And now through each of you, wherever you go, he's going to pour through you to reach other people. Amen? But first, he's got to do that work in you. So the second, he could do that work through you. I'm just going to close this time with a word of prayer. Can we all stand, please? Know again that we're here to minister to you. And even as we learn a couple of things here to also tease out from the passage, we learn about who God is. Verse 5 says, God is the God of patience and comfort. He's patient to wait for you. He's a God of all comfort. He wants to comfort you. And then verse 13 says that God is the God of hope. He wants to give you hope. And I hope and pray that he can encourage you and strengthen you because you're still on your journey with Jesus. And he wants to do a work through you. So when he taps on you to go and do a work, to do whatever he's asking you to do, you're going to feel inadequate like I do. I still do. You're going to feel like I, I'm not equipped. I don't, it's always time and money. I don't have enough time. I don't have the money. I don't have the courage. I still feel like that. But it's a matter of saying yes to Jesus and surrendering to his work. Amen? So, Father, we ask that you would please empower each of us here. We ask, Lord, that when you're tapping us on the shoulder and wanting to send each of us out, God, I know myself, and I believe it's probably similar to my brothers and sisters here. Lord, do that work in us. I know that you'll prepare that person to later do that work, whether it's a, a work here or elsewhere, God. Each of us has a calling within the church, within the body of Christ. We ask for you to declare that calling, to confirm that calling, minister to us. And even as you had Paul do, Lord, and how you greatly convicted my heart, to not build on another man's foundation. And that means it's going to be tough work. And you're wanting to plow our hearts. So Lord, please have your way. Help us to surrender to the work of your spirit in our hearts and lives. But Father, we ask for the empowerment of your spirit, that you would have your way, that we would continue moving forward with you by faith. Strengthen us to do your will. We cry out to you, Lord. We ask, please empower us mightily through your spirit. We ask in the mighty name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.